Happy Father's Day to all the dads. I want to say to every dad who is, uh, who is involved in your kids' lives, uh, man, I'm proud of you. God's proud of you. And you can feel like, well, I'm not even a good dad. Listen, if you're, if you're trying, um, you know, you're, you're doing a great job. And we're, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. You can hear my kids exclaiming that in the church lobby between or after services. They'll let you. You'll overhear some things. But, um, you, but that you're involved. Those of you, and you immediate, even if there's difficulty with custody and things like that, but you're not giving up, uh, you know, we're so, just so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you for not giving up. When we look at the problems in our society, uh, there's, there's just many ones that are systemic, and it just seems like it'll never go away. Many of those things, and you can make an argument in the case that mo- many of those problems have increased in their influence and increased in just uh, their reach because of the decrease of, of fathers in our nation. As there's been an absence of fathers, there's been an increase in addictions and abuse and, and poverty and, um, and uh, an addiction. So the fact that you're involved in your life, and even as, uh, as imperfect as you may be, you're doing a great thing. So don't give up. And when you recognize the failures in your life, don't just say, well, that's how I am. But to turn to God's word, to turn to God and just ask him to keep making you more perfect and more like him in his image. And uh, the, uh, some of you, you grew up without any father example, and you don't even know how to be a father, but just continue doing it. God will, as you follow him, he'll reveal those things to you, and you'll change your family history. And your kids will have a grandfather, and your kids will have a role model, and your kids will have an influence that you never did, maybe that's never been, existed in your family history. But uh, God has you here today because he's changing that for you. So, man, just want you to know we're proud of you. And really, don't take that lightly, uh, what God's been doing in your life. We, uh, I, I want to tell you this story. So uh, at the end of my story, I'll say, now, anyway, be excited with me. And so that's your chance to clap and cheer. But this is a big deal for me. Um, uh, Will mentioned that we're opening... Uh, Milton has been under construction. We're about to move into the volunteer side of the construction. So if any of you have skills or abilities, we'll have you jump in on that. But there's a guy on our softball team. The Dover location is a softball team. And uh, we're as good as the Red Sox. We're 500. And we, we, uh, there's a guy on our team who's been on our team for over a decade. And I've been inviting him to church for over a decade. And, and there's a couple of times he's been close to coming, but he's never actually come. He hasn't gone to church anywhere uh, for this amount of time. And so last week before our game, it was the first game we both showed up at. And before the game, we're warming up. He said, hey, I saw you guys were opening a church in Milton. And I said, oh, yeah. He says, we live right down the street from there. I said, oh, that's so cool. And then the next thing he said was, my wife and I have been talking about it, and we're going to go there when it opens. And I was just like, man, I, you know, I was, I was so excited. I'm like, man, that's so exciting. I can't even believe that. And uh, so, I mean, I didn't even invite him this time. You know, I was, wait, I was trying to wait for my one opportunity this year to really, like, put pressure on him. And uh, here he is. He, he said, my wife used to go there when she was a kid. And anyway, so just that was my huge thing from 
from this week. So anyways, th- thank you guys for clapping. First service, I, I had to leave, and then, I, they, and then they finally started clapping. But uh, <laughs> this week we're finishing up our series called Prodigal God. And uh, we've been for, this is our fifth week in this series, and for five weeks we've been in one passage of scripture, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And if you have any church background, you'll recognize the, this passage of scripture, we call it the story of the prodigal son. But as we've looked through each week, it's much more than a story about one son who pursued wild living and then made the decision to come back. It has... Uh, when Jesus told the story, he told it that it was about two lost sons. There was one who just left his father and pursued wild living, but there was also an older brother who was just pursuing religion and rule following, and he was just as lost as the other son. When Jesus told the story, when it ended, it didn't end with a happy ending. It ended, yes, the younger brother returned, and we celebrate that, but it ended with one brother, the older brother, still being lost. He was religious, and he, the story ends really with his arms crossed, with him full of, of, of indignation and, um, and full of uh, anger, and that's where the story ends. And Jesus told this parable, and a parable is a story with a spiritual meaning. So when Jesus told parables, they had deep spiritual meaning that helped us to understand him, to help us to understand his father, to help us understand ourselves and the kingdom of God. So as we look through each of these stories, they're not just some nice story that he told a long time ago. They're stories that were true then and they're true for us today. So as we listen to them, as we try to understand them, they affect us and they can help us. And really this story helps us to understand so much about ourselves and, and our church, but really the big component of the story is the Father. It helps us to understand God and His response to us. Now, let me give you a little bit of a background of the story and some of the things that were happening. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. They're all different, but they all are making the same point. And what was happening is Jesus was at a dinner event And there were Pharisees there, and that was a title of a strict religious community in the Jewish faith. These were... um these were leaders, they were uh government leaders, they ran the Jewish faith. And there was another group within this within the Jewish faith called the Sadducees. There were another group of, of people who were titled and they were almost like two political groups within this religion. So Jesus is at a dinner with these religious elite. Now, also at this dinner are some people who are very obviously not living religiously. They are uh, known as uh, adulterers. They are known as tax collectors. They are known as uh, just uh, of, of bad people. So when Jesus is at this meal, he's sitting with these people who obviously are not religious, and the religious people are upset about this. Doesn't Jesus know who they are? And they and, and they begin to even like, well, I guess Jesus is not that good. Because why in the world would he spend time with them and hang out with them? Doesn't he know we're the good guys and they're the bad guys? And if he was truly a good guy, he would be over here eating with us. He, it wasn't even that he's not spending enough time with us. He shouldn't be any, spending any time with them. So when Jesus overhears this conversation, 
he goes into telling three stories. Now, he's making a point to the religious group. And also, he's, he, he's making a lot of things here. Let's kind of talk quickly about those three stories. The first story that he talks about is the story of the lost sheep. And he says, when someone loses a sheep, if a shepherd loses a sheep, he leaves the 99 that, he, that, are, that are kept, that he knows where they are, and he goes traveling through the hillside, through the thorn bushes, going after and finding that lost sheep. And when he finds it, he rejoices, he celebrates. And he talks about a lady with a lost coin. And he's saying, this coin is very valuable. It's as valuable as an engagement ring. So the lady loses this valuable coin. She does. She goes through her entire house, turning everything over, trying to find this. Maybe engagement ring's not valuable for you. Some of you guys, it's this, uh, you could flip the parable a little bit and say, the man lost his remote control and he went through his entire house trying to find it. Flipping over every coin, looking under every couch, going through everything, trying to find it, frantically trying to find it. And this is what the lady did with this valuable lost coin. And when she found the coin, she celebrated. When you found your remote, you celebrated. He's telling the story. Things are lost and they're found and people are celebrating. And then he goes on and he says, there was two lost sons. And we see, as we studied earlier in this series, that when the younger son returned, he had taken all of his inheritance, lived and did anything he could ever dreamed of, anything he ever could have wanted, and then found himself, he'd lost it all. He was destitute, he was on the brink of starvation, and he made the decision, I'm going to go back home and ask my job to hire me as a servant. If I can get a job for, from him, at least his servants are eating. And when the son returned, the father celebrated. He threw a big party. Now we see, as we, and as we talked about the last couple of weeks, the party was going on, and the younger brother, the older brother returned home from work, saw the party was going on, and he, however, didn't celebrate. But before we get to that, I just want to say that when we come home, when we come home before God and we're, and we're asking him to forgiveness, asking him for forgiveness, every single one of us, when, we've, when we did that or when we will do that in the future, God celebrates. All of heaven throws a party and we as his church, we see in this story, we are to celebrate too. That it should be something that we're excited about, something that... Um, uh, uh, that we enjoy and something that we're, you know, that we want to be a part of. And, and we can think that God throws different levels of parties for different people. So for me, and, you know, when I, when, when I came to Christ, we think God's throwing a party at Stages in Dover, which is $110 a plate, seating for nine only. We think God threw a party of lap for him. But for me, when, I threw, when God threw a party for me, he threw it at, the, you know, at, at Chuck E. Cheese right before it shut down. And you just think like that's the type of party. God was too busy, and he just had to throw something together because he was surprised. And that's not how God responds at all. When we make the decision to come to God, he throws a party for us. We see this. In, in verse number 7 of chapter 15, you can go ahead and turn there now because we'll be um, looking at a couple of verses more deeply. But 
the shepherd said, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. It's very important for us to look at this and to realize that God is waiting to rejoice over one lost person who comes back to the Father. And as much as he loves our time where we worship him and we sing, as much as he loves that we're in the word, studying and learn more about him, he's more concerned and he gets more excited when we introduce people to him and bring people back to him than if we just have our times together. This is what he wants to celebrate. And in the next verse, uh, in the story of the lost coin, the lady found her coin and she said to her friends, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So when one person makes the decision to come back to God and to have relationship with God, all of heaven throws a party. And we see that. Jesus was giving us a glimpse into what it's like in eternity right now. And I believe that there's times when God gives us, uh, gives people in heaven a glimpse into life right now. So when you make the decision to come back to the Lord, I, you know, I believe that God will even open up heaven to family members that are in heaven now. Says, hey, come here. I want you to see this. And look at who came to church today. Hey, look at who gave their life to Jesus today. And they're, and they're just going crazy, crying and, and excited that you have made this decision to come back to him or even to come to him for the first time. Because this is what heaven wants to celebrate and what they want to do for a party. And it's very, very important that we know this. That, and, and we're going to talk more about celebration in a second. But I want us to look at the, at the older brother, all right? So verse number 25 and 26 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home from work, he heard music and dancing in the house. This bothered him. He looked at himself as the heir to the estate. And so really he was, the, the father was at a point in his life where the son probably felt that he was in charge and he was the owner, even though it was still in his dad's name. So when there's music and dancing and a party going on, he's really kind of irritated right from the very beginning of this and says, who is throwing a party without my permission? And so he asked one of the servants, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother is back. And your father has filled the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother is ticked off at this. And the older brother didn't enter into the party rejoicing that his brother came back. Instead, he stood outside the party with his arms crossed. And eventually, the father, who is the greatest moment of his dad's life at this point, is uh, seeing what... Uh, is having to leave the party because he hears, hey, your older son's here, but he's not coming in. So he has to leave the party. He goes out to the brother. He goes out to his younger son, begging him, "Will you please come into the party?" Begging the older son, "Please come into the party," and he won't. He stands outside with his arms crossed, and he's saying, "Hey," and his attitude was uh, to his dad, "You shouldn't be celebrating." So it wasn't even the idea that, hey, I have a, I'm having a hard time with this. The brother's done so wrong. I feel like he's personally stolen from me. And so you go in, 
maybe I'll be in eventually. No, no his, his attitude was the father shouldn't even be celebrating. He, instead of the father celebrating, he wanted the, the, instead of having the father celebrate, he wanted the father to castigate. He wanted him to bring punishment to his younger brother. He wanted him to bring judgment to his younger brother. He wanted him to condemn the younger brother. And he wanted him to throw the younger brother out. That's what he wanted. So we, as a church, if we're not careful, we can become just like that younger, just like that older brother. And our prayers to God about our world and the things happening in our world can be, if we're not careful, God, judge them. God punish them, God condemn them, but that is not what Jesus teaches is what our response should be. Our prayers should be, God, rescue them, God, forgive them, God, love them. And having that attitude toward people who, to, who are, have run away from the Father or who don't know the Father changes how we do everything. It changes how we worship on a Sunday and why we even worship on a Sunday, why we come to church, how we come to church, why we give, how we give, uh, how we act in our community, how we, how we treat our, our kids. It changes everything about us because we're realizing what, who God is and the father he is. And we would never try to tell our father, hey, don't celebrate your other kids coming home and try to make it all about ourselves. But yet, this is what the religious community was doing. And this is why Jesus is telling this story. And he's telling them and bringing them to the realization, hey, listen, you are that older brother. Here are all these younger brothers, the people you consider the bad guys that I'm eating dinner with. And you're mad at them and you're wishing me to kick them out of this party. But instead, you're missing the entire point of all of this. We should all be celebrating that they're coming to know God the Father. And in that verse, look back at verse number, it was either 25 or 26. And in that verse it says, you know, when the brother came home and he heard music and dancing in the house, I think this is very important for us to understand. Sometimes they're in a community um, and there's, there's a few churches in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine that are just enormous just enormous, huge churches, and I, I've been around some pastor friends whose churches seem to be declining while their churches are growing, and they say things out of sometimes frustration, sometimes out of just, um, just really uh, naive ignorance. They say things like, that church must be watering down the gospel. They must be watering down the good news of Jesus in order that, to get people to actually want to show up to church, because who would hear the unwatered down version of Jesus and actually want to follow that. So they must be tricking people to get them to follow Jesus. Well, that's not what this story is saying. When people who have run away and been so far away from the Father come back to the Father and receive his unmerited kindness, his goodness, his reckless and extravagant gifting, his prodigal giving to them, it turns into a party. You just can't even believe it. And the people around celebrating their return. There's music, there's loudness, there's dancing. And what happens is when there's a party, other people come and say, hey, what's going on over there? What's that noise? Oh, there's a party. We're, we're celebrating. And then they show up. And they're like, wow, man, I can't even believe. Your father's so good. Can I, can, you know, will he, you think he'd adopt me? And they start inviting other people. And what happens is because there's such an atmosphere of celebration, there's such an atmosphere of, gra- of gratitude for being received back that more and more people come. And we wrongly say 
that because you know we're holding on to the true gospel, no one wants to come here anymore. We're doing a good thing. We're missing it. We maybe have become elder brothers celebrating the fact that we won't let anybody party with us. There's no parties here. <laughs> we're doing the Lord's work. And, and we've missed it. And I remember um, a few years ago, and some of this is just the way I tell a story because people are always waiting for me to say the next thing. But I remember this was when I was still leading U-Turn, our student ministries at Restoration Church. So this is over a decade ago. And we had this outreach event on a Friday night that hundreds of teenagers came. I remember standing up on a Sunday morning and giving the, giving the report, hey, I'm so excited. 21 teenagers made the decision to follow Jesus this week. And then it was just silence. And people were like, you know, the friendly people smiled and nodded. But it was, it was it. There was no reaction. And I remember thinking, like, maybe I missaid something. I'm like, yeah, 21. <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, yeah. And, and I, I got off stage and I'm like, have I, have I, am I so complicated in my storytelling that people can't even follow me what I'm saying? And I remember um, it happening to another staff member, maybe in a, about the same season. And she got up and she said, five five kids gave their life to Jesus last week, and it was just like, oh, that's nice. And it was even, you could even feel people thinking, I wonder if it will last. I wonder if they'll still serve God when they're an adult. And no one responded. Now, thankfully, that's not how we responded anymore. If you were at the last baptism, people were giving standing ovations. I'm pretty sure there's holes in the ceiling for people throwing chairs. It was just, it was, I mean, the National Guard showed up, and we're like, no, we're just having church. And... Um, uh, but I remember thinking, and what we begin to think is we disregard anybody who comes to know, to, comes back to the Lord. Like, I wonder how long it will last. I wonder if they really know what they're saying. And uh, we don't want to respond like that. Because I remember being six years old and praying, God, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. And I meant it at six years old. And I, I, followed, I wasn't perfect. I did a lot of stupid things. But the decision I prayed when I was six years old, I meant it. And I've followed him in th that entire time. So we don't want to disregard any little kid being water baptized or any teenager making the decision to follow Jesus. Every single time that happens or we hear that that happens, we need to throw a party. We need to celebrate because all of heaven is celebrating. And one of the things that we begin to see here in verses 31 and 32 is the father's reaction to all of this. And the father said to the older son, as he's coming outside of the party, trying to get the older son to come to the party, he says, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. I, you, you, I love you. I've seen all of your obedience, but also I want you to know I've not, withhold, I've not withheld anything from you. And he goes on, and he says, we had to celebrate this happy day for, this, for your brother was lost. We thought he was dead, but he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I love that. Jesus is deliberate about these words in this story. And he says, the father says, we had to celebrate. And this is, this is a command for his Church, this is a command for people who've known, who know him and are in a relationship with him that you celebrate when people who are far away or people who are religiously close make the decision to have a relationship with the Father. We're going to celebrate. And command 
just command sounds like heavy-handed, but it's command in the same way that God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Like, that's a command, you don't have to tell me twice. And it's the same idea. There's these commandments that we joyfully enter into because there's so much blessing for us behind it. And this is that same type of command. So there's a few things theologically that we understand. So theology is the study of God. So when we're looking at things theologically, we're looking at things in the understanding of who God is. So here's a big thing for us theologically. God likes to celebrate. And that's, that's maybe mind-blowing for you. We think about heaven as being all full of uh, 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 brass fixtures and purple hair, but it is nothing like that. It is a party. It is a, it is, uh, it is, um, it is a celebration that is through eternity. It's not a hymnal service. It's not, uh, 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 it's not uh, an eternity of solitude and silence. It is a celebration where all the goodness and life from God is, is held without any bound and without any restraint. All right, it is, a, it is a celebration that you absolutely do not want to miss out on and that, we, and that theologically we completely misunderstand. We see that God likes to celebrate for a few different things. One, this story, when the son comes back, the dad says, let's throw a party, an extravagant party. So they're taking, they're expensively having a party. Again, this is not, you know, this is, this is not cheap. It, it is a wild celebration. We see through other things that God's instituted. One thing that we talk about is communion, or uh, other churches call it the Lord's Supper, which is a feast, but for budgetary issues, we limit it to uh, uh, half an ounce of juice and a small piece of, of stale cracker. Um, but it, the idea is the same. Jesus, at his last supper, it was a feast. And there's nothing wrong with us for next week at picnic in the parking lot calling that communion as long as we're doing it in remembrance of our Lord and Savior and what he did on the cross. So he, he, he established that. Do this in remembrance of me. Then we know that one of the, the longest celebrations is that of the Passover, which God told the Jewish people, um, institute this feast. Passover, and they've been doing that feast for over 6,000 years, remembering what Jesus did to lead them out of slavery and into freedom. And God established that. And then we know that when eternity begins, and, and this time that we're in, this day of, of sin, when it is over, and God completes it and finishes it, and we move into a perfect eternity, that God starts it with a feast. In the Bible, you, this is called the marriage supper of the Lamb, or, and, and what God is now doing is, is almost like a wedding feast with the church, with us, as we're reunited and we're entering eternity, where there'll be no sorrow, no sickness, no shame, no death forever, and, um, and he says, we're going to have a feast, and why don't we make it last a thousand years? Let's just go for it. Every dollar store in the world is going to be sold out as they get streamers hanging everywhere. We're going to have a party. God likes to celebrate. The next thing we see, and as we're understanding, is that celebration is spiritual. 
that it is, um, it is not something that we just do carnally, or we're just to make ourselves feel good, or that we should ever feel bad about. And we sometimes, be, some of it's because we're Yankee and we're Northeast, we come to church and we sit and we're quiet and we're reserved, and anytime people laugh or yell, or we're not even sure if we're allowed to, like, I come from the Puritan denomination, we, we, you know, we can't do this, and we, and we, we can't even relax and enjoy God because we think somehow it's wrong to enjoy Him. But every good thing in our life comes from him. And so the things you did yesterday that weren't sin, I mean, you don't have to feel bad about enjoying those things. Uh, your day off, you don't have to feel bad about enjoying that. Um, uh, uh, your, uh, any of your hobbies, you, know, you don't have to feel, God put that in our lives. He wants us to enjoy this life. It is a small taste of what heaven will be. You like golf? Wait till heaven. You like uh, 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 Boats, wait till heaven. You like crafting? I'm sure, something. Here's the Lamb's Book of Life. Everybody has come to know the Lord for uh, forever. Why don't you make a page for each person? I love this, yes! He has scissors I never knew existed. Um, but it's a spiritual thing for us. It's a spiritual thing for us to, to celebrate. And again, it's a, a, it's a command for us. And to kind of come back on this, to understand how, how radical idea of this it is, we think like, like once a week God's throwing a party because one person came back to know the Lord. Well, that's not the case at all. My statistics might be a little off, but they're not off very far. And so I'm not speaking in hyperbole here. Uh, a couple years ago, they estimated that 15,000 uh, people in China were coming to Christ every single day. And so 15,000 times a day in that one country, they are stopping everything they're doing in heaven and saying, hey, time to throw a party. And they're giving it everything they got, celebrating that one person's come to know the Lord. So they like this. They're not bothered by this. They're not afraid of this. This is what they want. And they want their church and people who know him to be people who celebrate as well. Then the last thing is this, that celebration is symbolic of salvation. The moment where you're either a younger brother pursuing wild living or you're a religious person trying to do your own good works and you make a decision to come to God, that moment where you say, hey, the younger brother says, I, you know what, I'm here, I'm about to starve, I'm going to go and ask my father for forgiveness, or an older brother says, hey, I've mistreated my other brothers and I want a relationship with you, I don't want to just do good things so I can get your stuff. The moment where we come to God, uh, that's, the moment, that's our moment of salvation. So when I was six years old and I prayed for Jesus to be my, my Savior and to forgive me of my sins, that was my moment of salvation. And whenever that moment was for you or whatever that moment will be for you in the future, that's your moment of salvation. And celebration is symbolic of that. And there's no better way for Jesus trying to illustrate this than to establish feasts and to establish uh, recurring things of celebration and to use a celebration in and in a party to illustrate this point in this story. God doesn't just want us to believe that he's glad to have us back. He's trying to show us and helping us to taste and enjoy him as well. Think of it this way. The story could have gone completely differently. The younger brother 
returns home. He says, I'm going to ask my dad for a job. He goes into his house. The dad's in his library. So this is like the, in 1965. Dad's in his library. And he knocks on the dad's door. And, he, and the dad's like, who is it? He's like, it's your son. Which one? The younger son. The one who ran away? Yeah, that's me. What do you want? I was wondering if I could ask you something. Okay, open the door. Open the crack on the door. And the dad's like, well, you look pretty pale and thin. And you smell bad. Uh, yeah. What can I do for you? Well, I was starving to death, and I just wondered maybe you could give me a job? Yeah, sure. All right. Think I can have my room back? Um, no, you can live with the servants. All right. And you shut the door and go, and you're like, I don't even know if he wants me back. As opposed to think about when you've gone to visit your grandmother you get in your house, there's no question whether or not your grandmother, my, I would show up at my grandma's house and she would take out, she used to buy these, uh, these oatmeal cookies that were hard as a rock and they had a little white frosting on the top and she'd pull those out every time I was there and she's like, do you want a Diet Coke? And she would just pull out all the stops to let me know she was glad I was there and that I was spending time with her. As opposed to you knock on the door and you pull back the shade and they're like, uh, hey grandma, she's like, who are you? I'm like, I'm your grandchild. Which kid? Your oldest daughter. Okay. Um, I'm... I'm here. You asked me to come over. Uh, yeah, I'll hit the garage door opener. The yard tools are in there. Help yourself. And then she shuts the and you just go and start doing the yard work. And you're like, I don't even know if she likes me. And God can respond to us like that, and we think that's how he is. But no, God throws a feast. I'm glad you're here. Can I make something for you? What do you like? You like New England clam chowder? Let me show you something. Let me, let me, you know, let me make some for you. Oh, you like Diet Coke? Here, let me do it without all the cancer-causing ingredients. Here, have some of that. And you, you're just... He's just showing you. Man, I want you to know I am so glad you're here. Let me feed you. Let's have a party. Let's turn on some music. Let's laugh together. A preacher um, from a, uh, a couple hundred years ago, his name was Jonathan Edwards. He said this, the difference between believing that God is gracious and tasting that God is gracious is as different as having a rational belief that honey is sweet and having the actual sense of its sweetness. God's trying to show us his goodness. He wants us to experience his goodness. He doesn't just want us to know he's good. He wants us to experience that goodness. And this is one of the things, those of you who serve on the hospitality team, you're making coffee, you're opening the front doors, you're serving at the Welcome Center. This is part of what you're doing. That spiritually, supernaturally, you're showing people how God receives them and accepts them. Because when you come in and, 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 and you've never been to church before and people are happy that you're here and they're saying, hey, can I make you a coffee? Hey, you know, would you want a coffee mug? You, you know, and, and they're just glad that you're here. It's like, well, okay, uh, you know, maybe, maybe God could accept me or God could forgive me. As opposed to the other scenario, which happens Sundays across the world, where someone shows up at the church, no one talks to them, they walk in through the doors, they sit down, no one talks to them. Service ends, they go to leave, and someone comes up to them and says, hey, if you're going to come back next week, you, could you dress a little bit nicer? And then they leave. And they walk out of that service thinking, I don't think God likes me. I don't think God will accept me. That is a Elder brother response, and that's not what God's called us to do. No matter who walks into our doors, our response is to celebrate. Someone is coming to see the Father. Let's begin the party. Fire up the subwoofers. Get the coffee going. Let's party. And so 
What we see, so your application point for today is go home, make yourself a peanut butter and honey sandwich, eat that thing, and say, man, God, you are so, so good. Now, in our head, we can understand what God thinks about us. We can understand, yeah, God wants a relationship with us. But what does he feel when we, re- when we return home? And we begin to question that. Well, I think, you know, he reluctantly accepts us back. I think God withholds goodness. I don't think I deserve it. And we have a hard time believing that God is actually excited that we're coming back. When, well, I've done so many wrong things. I've been so far away. I've squandered all of his wealth. And, and I've, I've just let go of all of his goodness. And we, and we, and we think he would never... Um, he would never really want me back. So what I want you to do, what I want you to do is to, um, is to watch a movie clip. And this is, what I believe this clip does is it helps us to understand what God feels when we come home. And this is a clip, uh, you're not going to believe me when I tell you this, but this is a true story. And it's about lost family members, uh, family members who were lost, and they had to travel over 300 miles through the Ontario wilderness to return home to their other family. So when we watch this clip, I want you, some of you are in the place where you're far, you're, you're far from God, either religiously far from him or in wild living you're far from him. And I want you to place yourself as a family member is coming home to say, what is God going to feel if I make the decision today to come back to him? What is he going to feel? And then for those of you in here who, um, who are maybe your elder brothers, you're religious people and you have your arms crossed toward people who are far from God, I want you to begin to see how God responds. And so the other family members who are, who are, are you'll, you'll know who they are, but they're waiting um, and they don't think the, their other family is ever going to come back. I want you to place yourself there that is, as a father, as brothers and sisters in Christ, what it is to receive someone home again and how excited we should be about that. And through this, when this is done, I'll come up and we'll have opportunity for you to respond. But I'm going to ask you, when this clip is over, to make a decision to come back to the Father. Maybe you've never known him. Maybe you've run away. Maybe you've just been religious. But make a decision when this clip is over to say, God wants me back and, uh, and I'm going to come back to him. I want to make sure you have an opportunity to respond. and I want to help you to have the courage to respond. Pastor Will's down front, and um, and there, there just has to be people in here who have been far from God, and today you're just like, you know what, this is it. It's my decision. It's my time. I'm going to make the decision to come back. And what I need is for some elder brothers to make the example. You've been religious people, but you realize today you don't have the Father's heart. You haven't been close to the Father, and you're going to say, I'm making the decision to come home and have a relationship with the Father. For anybody in here, if there's anybody, for, the, for, for those of you who say, I'm in relationship with the Father, I'm in the party. If anybody makes the decision to come forward today, we're going to celebrate together because this is not in any way a judgment on anybody. This is a celebration and a party for anybody who's making the decision to come home today. This elder brother, you may have been coming here for years and decades, and, uh, and, and we're going to ask you to come forward and say, all right, I'm coming home. That little trek over the hill like, like those animals did to say, I'm coming home. And you may be uh, in leadership here. You may be uh, uh, even a pastor from another church. You say, I, don't, I, I just can't let people know that, that this is me. But listen, 
we're here to celebrate with you and you say, all right, I, I just need to come home. Does anybody say, that's me, and you'd be willing to raise your hand at me and say, I'm going to start making my way forward. Yeah, please join us. Please come down to Pastor, Frank, Pastor Will. Everybody put your hands together. And I wonder if there's any other elder brothers who say, I've just been playing a religious game. I don't have a relationship with my father. I don't love people the way he does. I don't celebrate when people come to know him. Is there anybody else? You're an elder brother. We've got some people moving. Just put our hands together for our friends. I want to ask about any younger brothers or sisters, as you know, just so we're clear. So I've been, I've been, I've been going my own way for so long. I want to make a decision to come back, and I don't want to embarrass you, but we really want to celebrate with you. That's you, and say I've been going my own way, but now I want to come back and be with the Father. Does you raise your hand at me? Let me know that you're coming forward. It's easier to raise our hand before we take a step. We got one right here. Put your hands together. Is there anybody else? We're gonna sing for just a minute. The band's gonna lead us in a song. As you sit there, some of us if we're so shy, like I could never. But sometimes you're just sitting there. You know, you know what saves the day. I'm not giving up on it. And even as we sing, if you want to make your way forward, come forward. I'll be here. Uh, Will, my wife will be here. Um, and we're here to receive you. I want to pray for you and give you opportunity. Those of you who have to, uh, have to leave. And, and for those of you who are too shy, still want to come forward, we're going to be here for you. Um, I want to give a couple of testimonies. My... Our kids go to public school because that's what we can afford. And the uh, and my a boy from my son's school said to him last week, uh, "I saw your dad on Instagram. Can I go to church with you?" And so he told me. I'm like, "Is that what he really said?" <laughs> Seems. And uh, he said, "Yeah." And so I said, well, have him ask if he can do a sleepover, and he can sleep over on a Saturday, and we'll ask his parents if he can come to church. If they say no, we'll just drop him off before church. So he did. He arranged it all. He had two friends sleep over last night. Two friends who just came forward to give their life to Jesus. We obviously are a room of so many people who have come to know God, who experienced his love, we've tasted and seen how good he is. That's not enough for us. We want another party. We want to celebrate just one more. So we have an obligation, which we heard last week, that as that is trailed our brothers who know the Father and love the Father. Um to go and rescue younger brothers and even elder brothers who are stuck in religion 
and invite them to come and be a part of our family, to come and know our Father God. Here's what I want next week. Bring someone with you. Find someone who doesn't know, who hasn't heard, maybe who's walked away, and bring them with you. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for every person and all of our locations, anybody who listened online, who made the decision to follow you and to come back to you today. We celebrate that. And um, we try to do it with as much enthusiasm as you have, but we know your party blows ours out of the water. But man, we celebrate with you. One of your kids came home and we got to be a part of that. And um, I thank you for that. We pray, Lord, for us, those who know you and experience your goodness. God, we statistically only 2% of American Christians ever invite someone to church. And I pray, God, we would blow that statistic out of the water because of how much we know you, because of how much we know you love others. God, we would be um, relentlessly inviting people, even if it takes 10 years at softball till they finally come. God, we would organize sleepovers so people could come. God, we would do whatever it takes that people could know your goodness and how great you are. And uh, God, help us to find someone to bring um, to church. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, happy Father's Day. If you need anything else, we'll be up here to be with you.